Hey, it's Abe Gordon, 92.9 The Game in Atlanta, sports radio host and producer, and you're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters, with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world, covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. BetUS Sportsbook is your ultimate destination for online betting. With sports betting, live betting, racebook, online slots, and online casino. It's available across the U.S. and Canada. Use the code PSP to receive a massive sign-up bonus. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm one half your host, Justin Williams. And today I have the man, the myth, the legend with me, the one that makes my voice sound good, and the one who doesn't have a degree in audio engineering. But you know what? He might as well should. He should have an honorary degree because this man doesn't stop. Also, furthermore, if you haven't yet, please go to our website, sign up for our monthly newsletter. This man tells you how to make money off of NBA So Rare and I guess MLB So Rare, not so much, but basically just So Rare in gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Colbert Durant. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. And, and talking about that degree, actually, mm. MIT reached out to me. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Through email, it was their Nigerian contact, and they'd give me a number to contact them. Oh, you should do that. Uh, do you have to send some money down first, like put a deposit on the tuition? Just to get my actual diploma, it's going to cost, right? Yeah, of course. Exactly. Speaking of actual diplomas, friends, we have 10,000 followers on Instagram. We're so thankful for each and every one of you. And please start commenting on our Apple iTunes page. Like, It's weird to have a lot of downloads and then just like, my mom commenting. That's kind of weird. Can we uh, can we sub that up, friends? I know we're like millennials. The worst part about that is the the number of emails we get from people saying, "Hey, we've noticed no one really comments on on your yeah your <laughs> podcast. We can help you boost your comments." Like, I don't want to do that. I want real comments. Let's go. That's it. Then the fact like we show them our downloads. Like we have thousands upon thousands, but it's like, listen, millennials, you're already on the keyboard. I need you to I need you to quit typing. But anyways. I guess who knows all about this. This guy actually ran a marathon. I was teasing him. Didn't know if it was a half marathon. He said he ran a couple of those. So he's probably run like three and a half marathons in his life. He's also a host and producer on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Abe Gordon. Abe, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, gentlemen, man. It's a pleasure being on. Thank you guys for having me. And uh, yeah, I, I, I keep telling people I hate running, but somehow I found myself doing 26 miles every once in a while. So uh, we did it once. We're probably never doing it again, but uh, uh, it was an experience. I won't say necessarily a good one, but certainly an experience at that. Listen, you did it. That's amazing. That's something I will never do. And you are a better man than I am, sir. Well, I appreciate that, man. Excited to chat with you guys today. Yes. Now, before we got started in the interview, we we're having a bit of the, the warm up, if you will, the fluffing part of it all. You had mentioned power slap. So this is not where I want to start this conversation. But now this is where I'm going to want to start this conversation. Sir, what are your thoughts? Because you're a big MMA guy, which obviously we'll talk about that later. But what are your thoughts on power slap? Well, it, it, you know, when you look through the realm of combat sports and MMA is one and you deal with wrestling or judo, a, a, any of the combat sports you want to get into, 
I understand the training aspects of it. And I, I just don't know how you could properly train for the actual event of power slap. Like you're, you can't possibly be standing there taking slaps like four out of five days of the week. Uh, like I, I, I get, you can work on your accuracy and your technique of performing the slap, but the idea that you just have to stand there and just take it and hope your neck holds up or you get knocked <laughs> out. Like it's just a wild idea. Everyone who does it is, is, is they're out of their mind. None of those guys are normal. They're normal people who fight MMA or jujitsu or, or whatever. None of the power slap people are normal. Uh, you can never convince me otherwise, but Hey, like it's hilarious. Like, like it's, it's definitely, it's scary, but it's, it's certifiably hilarious to watch a dude just stand there, get open hand palmed right to the face and just yep. the knees buckle. We've all seen great knockouts. I mean, there's some good oh. knockouts in power slap, but what's even more scary than the guys that get knocked out is the guys who take the slap and then are like amped up about it. And then they're like, yeah, now it's my turn. And we, I mean, those guys scare me even more. Those are freaks of nature. We had a guest on actually kind of describing it and he's like, I don't consider it a sport because there is no defense. Like you can't yeah. flinch. You can't look away. So he's like, it's not a sport. There's no defending. And I'm like, you know what? That's fair. I'll, I don't know what classifies as a sport, but this not sport sport is entertaining to watch when you've had a few brewskis and you're hanging out with some boys. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, maybe you can work on your footwork or your stance. Is that like some, some way to, to take the hit a little bit better? I don't know, but I mean, I, I do think it's a sport. It's sporting. Let, let's put it that way. I, I guess yeah. it's sporting the way that, you know, hunting is sporting and um, other sort of fringe events like that. But it's, if nothing else, it's fun to watch. I enjoy it when I when I can uh, find time to stumble across a live event. That's, you know what? I don't watch them live. I watch them on YouTube. It's a great time. You inspired me. I'm probably going to go watch some after this, but that's besides the point. <laughs> on to our actual questions, sir. Tell us about yourself. I mentioned that you're a host in Atlanta. How'd you get this gig? How, how does how do our fans become you? Yeah, so it really starts obviously, you know, pre college. Like just just a, as a child, like my love of sports was not the normal love of sports. Um, it went beyond that. Look, I I have a brother um, and a sister, and they enjoy watching the local teams, but they it, it was different. You know, they didn't learn about the players or decisions that managers are making or whatever. So it started young. Like, I, I just watched games. I grew up watching games differently than a lot of people. And I'm not special in that manner. I think there's a lot of people, a lot of kids who love sports to a different degree than their siblings or maybe their parents even did. And, and I think recognizing that is part of it. And I also, like, understood early on. I didn't know specifically what I wanted to do heading into college, but I knew it was going to be in sports. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, in, in, in my senior year of high school and then throughout um, summers in college, I, I was interning at a radio station here in Atlanta, just kind of learning the business as best I could, uh, having whatever connections I could, and then took a chance. Like, like I got out of college. I went to Indiana University, go Hoosiers. Mm -hmm. I, I got a sports communication degree with an emphasis in broadcast. And I'm not going to say that that mattered a ton. I think you go to a number of different schools and get a number of different majors and probably end up where you are. You've heard the saying, it's not, uh, you know, what you know, it's it's who you know. It's, it's part of that experience. I, I took a chance. I wasn't scared to move. I, I left Atlanta after college and I went to Tampa Bay. 
to take a $8 an hour part-time job uh, running the control board. And within a year, I was producing the morning show. I was doing live sports updates. Within, uh, you know, in the second year from there, I was I was hosting uh, once a weeknight doing, a um, you know, a, a special specific type of show um, with only one topic. It wasn't quite free. Um, you know, it was just focusing on the, the college team they had there, the South Florida Bulls, and it was all about, um, it, you know, promoting their programs and stuff like that, part of the partnership they had with the radio station. But I was the one that hosted it. You know, when, when uh, that station shut down, you know, I, I took another chance. I moved to Washington, D.C. Again, it was a part-time job with SiriusXM, uh, working with their baseball channel. While I was there, I eventually helped launch their college uh, sports channel. I helped launch their fantasy channel. I helped launch their soccer channel uh, and eventually went from part-time to full-time uh, as a staff member of, of the college sports channel there. And and I spent six years in Washington, D.C. doing all sorts of stuff for SiriusXM. I moved to Cleveland uh, and worked a morning show there. I moved to Los Angeles and worked a, a startup app, podcasting and live sports app there. Uh, and eventually found myself back here in Atlanta where I hooked up here with uh, 92.9 The Game, which is where I am now. And again, I started part-time. Uh, I mean, I'm, I was 13 or 14 years, maybe 12, 12 years or whatever, into my career into the industry, and I'm still starting over part-time. Um, and sure enough, part-time turned to full-time within a year. And then, you know, certain, you know, you start producing late-night shows. Then I got moved to the morning show. Then I got uh, the opportunity to host and stuff like that. So uh, it's really about following the process. There's no fast track in this industry. There's no shortcut to being on air. M maybe you can speed things up in terms of the producer role, stuff like that, but, th but there is no shortcut. This is an industry, sports broadcast is an industry where you pay your dues. A and look, I'm not saying anyone who's patient and does the job is always gonna advance to that level. But, but I think it's important to understand before you get in that there is a process to this, right? This is what we say uh, for sports teams trying to build winners, like trust the process. Mm -hmm. There is a process to it, and you're not going to be hosting more often than not day one. Now, for my path, I went with a lot of big cities and major jobs and worked in that realm. I do think there is a way where you can move to smaller cities and get on air earlier, quicker, uh, enhance your talent and learn and grow and then maybe make that jump. It's a different type of path. It wasn't one that I had explored at the time, but that's always uh, available to you now. And then, as you guys well know, now we've got this incredible podcast world where, where you can really sit down and do it on your own while also growing in the industry. And I have a number of friends who uh, started as a podcast and, and eventually found their way onto live radio or onto TV. Uh, you look at what Pat McAfee is doing. You look at the, the Barstool Sports guys. Like You got to remember years ago where that stuff started. So there's so many different avenues, so many different paths just because you're not on the one that I follow doesn't mean you can't eventually find success uh, in that industry. But but the one thing I will say is a lot of these people, and you hear it from all aspects, right? Like, love what you do and it'll never feel like work, like that that nonsense of a saying. But it is true. Like, I have four TVs in my main room here. They're always on sports. Like, that's not because... I'm hosting shows and I need to watch stuff. It's because I enjoy watching sports. And if I was a bank teller during the day, like I would come home 
and put on two NBA games and a hockey game. Like that's just that's just how it is. So mm-hmm. you know, the passion always has to be there to succeed in this sort of industry. And there's just so many people who have that passion. Uh, then it's about finding your foot in the door and grinding and working hard to to advance. Thank you for that. That's actually kind of our goal is to eventually get on some sort of either radio station and or TV. So thank you for, for those, I guess that path, that kind of enlightenment there, that kind of means a lot to us. Yeah. Now, Abe, you've covered a ton of sports. Obviously, you're a fan of plenty. If you could only pick one jersey, College with one player, no, no, one, <laughs> one jersey, one player, oh, okay. whose, whose jersey would you own? Oh boy, that is an interesting question because it 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 kind of goes through various eras, right? Like it, as a child, it would have been probably John Smoltz, okay, with the Braves. Um, through my uh, college years and, and into early professional broadcasting, it probably would have been Michael Vick, um, quarterback for the Falcons. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's probably Ronald Acuna Jr., uh, the MVP outfielder for the Atlanta Braves. I, I just, he is uh, a rare special talent that uh, I feel honestly lucky and blessed to be watching the prime of his career. Uh, we we all talk about great athletes from various eras and various sports. How many of them do we really get to see the prime of their careers from start to finish. And, and, you know, it's just getting started for him. He's really just reaching his peak. And I do feel blessed that we, we get to watch it as it develops its way. And, and hopefully he'll stay in Atlanta, if not for all of it, at least for the majority of it. Okay. Okay. Now you brought up Michael Vick as one of those jerseys. I'd say Michael Vick would probably be the best starting quarterback on Atlanta right now. <laughs> now, it's uh, yeah. how do people feel about the Braves? In comparison, like nowadays, compared to that golden era that you were kind of mentioned when you you brought up Smoltz. Well, there's a lot of similarities and people are, I I don't think people are panicking because there's still a wide open window, right? And hindsight is different than living in the present. They've been the best team in the National League for three years now, Mm -hmm. uh, but they have one World Series. Uh, And there are issues where people think, well, they were the best team for how many years in the 90s? And they had one World Series in 95. So th- there is a little bit of that, um, but they're still building. They, they are still working. They're still improving. There's still a very young core that is going to be here for a number of years. So the window is still open, and you just hope you don't, you don't sit here in, let's say, 2029, right, a- and say, look, they won the NL East seven of the last nine years, but they only had the one World Series. Yeah. So... There is a little bit of caution and concern. There, There is a little bit of that. But honestly, people are living in the moment and enjoying what we're seeing. They won, what, 105 games uh, in the regular season last year, and they've been bounced by the Phillies two years in a row. So they got to figure some things out. The one thing you don't want to do is be a, a regular season machine that folds in the postseason. So they're they're having to battle that a little bit. But But the good thing on that aspect is they did at least get the World Series early. And so they, they have a little bit of leeway before fans really start to panic uh, three or four or five years of, of not getting one when you feel like you have the best team. Any worry about the recent Dodgers signing? No. Uh, I, I mean, I think the Dodgers are an outstanding ball club. There's no doubt about that. And look, the Dodgers are, are good. I mean, if you look, I don't think there's shame 
if either team won, but but you can't be knocked out by a team we know you're better than, like the Phillies. If you're the Dodgers, you can't be knocked out. Uh, and I don't remember how it played out, but like the the Arizona Diamondbacks can't reach the World Series. Like like there's too many good teams atop the National League for that to happen. And nothing against the D-backs; they had an outstanding year uh, and put together some some great pitchers uh, to get them them there. But mm-hmm. look, the Braves and Dodgers are the two best teams in the National League. I'll I'll still take Atlanta. Uh, I still trust Atlanta, but in, in the end, it's going to come down to pitching, like it always does, and it let down both teams, uh, as it were, uh, this past season. Okay, let's let's talk a bit of Falcons before we pass you back to to Justin. Seven and ten. I mean, is that <laughs> is that acceptable or no? Well, we fired the coach, so obviously it's not acceptable. <laughs> like, like no, I mean, it was acceptable in year one, right? Like, people thought uh, this was a down team and, and whatever. It was acceptable last year. Remember, everyone told us we were going to win three or four games, and we rolled through to seven. Yep. This year, we are picked to win nine, 10, 11 games, win the NFC South, and it doesn't happen. So, uh, no, it was unacceptable. Uh, there were decisions made along the way that certainly led you to the point where you were only able to get seven wins but look ultimately you fired your coach I think that's the owner saying we gave you some leeway the first two years seven and ten may have been overachieving this was significantly underachieving we didn't take a step forward in fact despite it being quote the same record it was a step backwards and so a very frustrating season uh, very frustrating because there were signs early on it was going to look that way um, you hoped that the team could grow specifically the quarterback it didn't happen, and um, and that's where we are today, looking for a new head coach. Now, I'm not I'm not a Falcons fan by any means, but I was kind of hoping to see a more exciting team out of them this particular season. Yeah, who would you say, in your opinion, is the face of the franchise now? The face of the franchise is an interesting question because it's probably Grady Jarrett, um, who who got hurt midway through the season, yeah. uh, the outstanding defensive tackle. Now. The problem with Grady Jarrett uh, being the face of the franchise is it's tough for a guy in his position to be the face of the franchise because you're not Aaron Donald. And it's okay for Aaron Donald to be the face of the franchise because he's not the best defensive tackle in the game right now. He's the best defensive tackle to ever play the position. Correct. And Grady Jarrett's one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL, but he doesn't look the same as Aaron Donald does. So, so it's tough to compare. I, I think you're probably trending towards a world where Bijan Robinson could take that mantle. Obviously you're going to get a new quarterback in there. How does that go? But you're, 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 you ask a fair question because you're coming off of a run of however many years it was 12, whatever the number was where Matt Ryan was the face of the franchise yep. at different parts. You probably had Julio Jones alongside him. So there, there is no one that really sticks out as face of the franchise. Grady Jarrett's in that discussion, uh, like I said, and and the, the hope was because we asked this question, uh, you know, after the draft, like how quickly until Bijan Robinson becomes face of the franchise. It didn't happen this year, not not to the extent that we were hopeful that it would. I, I mean, Bijan Robinson was the odds-on favorite to win Rookie of the Year, and he's got absolutely no shot of unseating either C.J. Stroud or Puka Nakua. So yeah. it wasn't a bad season from him, but it wasn't like the breakout dynamic can't-miss star that we all hoped it would be. So while he's probably the guy that's in line to come up and be face of the franchise, along with whoever they decide uh, to go with at quarterback, he's not there just yet. 
Would you like to see him become the face of the franchise? Would you like to see this be a run first team? I they look, they need to get a quarterback. Any team would like the quarterback to be the face of the franchise. There's a reason the Texans are in the playoffs right now. It's because CJ Stroud in year one has become the face of the franchise. Yeah. And you could go through uh, the, a number of the playoff teams. I mean, which which of these teams don't have a quarterback at face of the franchise? Like certainly the Steelers, the face of their franchise is TJ Watt. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe the Lions, although I don't know necessarily who the face of their franchise is. I think Amon Ross St. Brown's their best player, mm-hmm. but I don't know if he's necessarily the face of the franchise. Maybe it is golf. Maybe it's their head coach, Dan Campbell. But I, I mean, you go through it. You know, even in Miami, where Tyreek Hill's the most important player, too, is the face of the franchise. In Buffalo, you've got a, a, a rough go, up and down season for Josh Allen, but he's the face of the franchise. Yeah. So, as much as I love Bijan Robinson, and it does need to be a run first team because Tyler Algiers, an outstanding young back as well. Oh, yeah. In terms of becoming the face of the franchise, especially if it's a rookie that we draft, that guy needs to be the face of the franchise. Okay, fair enough. Hey, so we're going to switch gears a little bit. How much MLS do you know? Well, obviously, I'm a huge Atlanta United fan, um, and, and I have been from the very beginning. I am a, a big soccer fan in general. The MLS was tough to watch, I'll, I'll be honest, before Atlanta United came in and I started watching them. I, I, I'm a big Arsenal fan, so yeah. I, do watch, yeah, I do watch the Premiership. You know, I had favorite players in various countries, so I used to watch various teams, be it in, in Syria or, or uh, in Spain, La Liga, whatever. But I've watched a lot more MLS in recent years. Uh, the league has obviously gotten better. There's no denying that. But it's still a, a weird position in terms of a league where the goal is still for our league, for the MLS, to eventually sell players to Europe. Yeah. It's still this kind of middleman business while also trying to win. So it, it does put some of the league's top players in a weird position to where do you keep a guy for a title run or do you sell him over the summer transfer window? Um, And we've had a little bit of that here. Uh, We've been very lucky in Atlanta that Miguel Almiron, who was now over there in in Europe and in in the premiership, he was able to stay through the full season, a championship season early on, and they sold him right after the year. Uh, Obviously, Atlanta United has got Tiago Almada, an Argentinian international, who's among Mm -hmm. the best players in the MLS. I don't want to power rank anyone but but he is among that crowd and there's a good likelihood that if he's not moved before the start of this season he may be moved middle of the season whether Atlanta United's in position to compete for a title or not so so it's it's unfortunate that that's the position the league is in where yes you're going and trying to win but you're also a business operating and and when there's margins when there's loan opportunities when there's transfer opportunities you have to take that and so but I I enjoy the heck out of the MLS it's a league that has improved incredibly uh over the past five or six years it has indeed especially with the signing of Messi this is yeah definitely something that kind of attracted a lot of eyes now Atlanta has always been a powerhouse since its inception which Mm -hmm. as a TFC fan is both amazing and frustrating to watch uh, the right. years where TFC was on top, I didn't mind you guys doing well. But the couple <laughs> years where TFC has been pooping the bed, I have been very sad and disheartened. But I noticed that recently that um, this was a bit of a down year for Atlanta. Despite the guys made the playoffs, you guys got bounced early in the first, yeah. which is very un-Atlanta-like. Um, so that was kind of interesting. But do you feel like with the signing of the veteran Dax McCartney, do, do you think that'll be a good choice and a good fit for Atlanta? 
Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm a big fan of Dax McCarty. I, I've followed his career for a long time, and I don't know how much we're going to get from him on the field. I, I expect to get quite a bit from him in the locker room, um, in the clubhouse, veteran leadership. Uh, I, I think when you talk about what's going on on the field, um, it's going to come down to a lot of these these the, the returning stars. Uh, Yorgos Yakamakis was near the league lead in goals despite missing a, a number of games with injury. Obviously, we talked about Tiago Amada. He's one of the more dangerous players uh, mm-hmm. in the league. Uh, we lose Miles Robinson, which is going to hurt the back line, uh, but they'll find ways to replace him. But I think McCartney is a good veteran who, who can lend quite a bit of experience to a relatively young team while also um, he does still play at a high level. I, I don't know how much he'll play. I don't want to say he'd be penciled in as an everyday starter, but they'll find times to use him and bring him in, but probably helping this team grow as much as anything is, is going to be his value. I'm a big fan of his. I'm very happy to uh, have seen the team brought him in for, for another year. He is a good veteran. And I feel like, as you mentioned, even though his effects might not be felt physically on the pitch, his presence on the bench will be what impacts the pitch, especially during those kind of like hard runs and those young guys kind of squirming, not knowing what to do. As you mentioned, Tiago Amada, but also you guys have Edwin Mosquera, who's also plays for Colombia, who both of them got called up recently. And that's got to be exciting, having two internationals on your team, both under 23, both getting called up. Like, bro, how do you sleep at night knowing that you have this powerhouse just brewing? Yeah, there's a lot of those guys. I mean, you look down, and I know I don't expect everyone to know like the academy system, but some of the guys coming up from the academy system as well. Caleb Wiley, who who had his first mainstay this year, uh, you know, I, I think he got called up, and he's not going to make the team, but I think he's going to be part of the camp for the U.S. Men's National Team for their upcoming friendlies. We got Brooks Lennon as well, who's right on the fringe of being selected for the U.S. Men's National Team. So uh, there there is a lot of talent. A lot of young talent. There's no doubt about that. I'm very optimistic about Atlanta United. I I agree with you. This was a down season this past year. Now, they did get bounced. And, and, you know, they had that weird first round where you got to go through through the best of three. But Mm. uh, this is the second straight year. Sorry, my dog is making noises over here. No worries. This is the second straight year they've got bounced by the eventual champion. And not that that's like a great pat yourself on the back. like, But you did take them to three days, and they went on to run through the rest of the league. So... Um, if you're going to lose to someone, you know, you don't want to lose to someone that gets annihilated the very next round. So at least that's something. But I'm very optimistic that if Yakamakis and Tiago Amada can stay healthy, um, is so, some of the new players, uh, they'll, they'll, again, we'll have to replace Miles Robinson on the back end. But the growth of some of the young players, uh, Mosquera, uh, Luis Abram, uh, Caleb Wiley, um, possibly the inclusion, he may still be a bit too young, but Noah Cobb, you know, I, I am optimistic. I, I'm optimistic every year. I, I'm kind of a sucker in that <laughs> manner. Like, I, I mean, I, it's easy to say now how stupid it was, but I thought the Falcons were going to win 10 games and win the NFC South. Like, I, I'm the idiot who felt like the Atlanta Hawks with the development of Jalen Johnson were like, they were going to be like a top three seed, but I thought they'd, be better than what they are. So like every year for me in every sport, uh, unless like, I mean, sometimes it's too obvious, but for the most part, I'm relatively optimistic. My teams are going to have a chance. And and I feel that way about Atlanta United again this year. I love to hear that optimism. And when you're talking about losing to the eventual champions (laughs) as a Leafs fan to see every team that we lose, get to the finals or win the championship, (laughs) 
absolutely infuriating, and I don't know if you watch enough hockey to understand this or at all, but my God, it is so annoying. Further who, that, who, are y'all losing to like big rivals? Because like we lost, I mean, we're not losing to like our biggest rivals. It's it's it might be a little different. So let me run it back. Pre-COVID, Boston every time, who went on to not only win, but also final yep. a bunch of times. Then during the um, pandemic season, we lost. Uh, yeah, well, I'll get there. No, this is, uh, yeah, okay, lightning before the pandemic, like right before. <laughs> yeah. right. Then there was, um, during the pandemic, we lost to Columbus, who went on all the way yep. to the finals, but lost to, or no, they sorry, they beat, um, they beat the lightning. And then last season, too. Right, so, beats, but those aren't your like huge. Those aren't your biggest rivals. So like, well, Boston is, but yeah, but I mean, Tampa Bay and Columbus, whatever. Like, I, I'd still rather see them. You don't want to lose to a team that gets swept the very next round. No, of course not. So I, that that's all I mean. There, there's a little bit of pride of like, well, at least we lost to the eventual champions. Yeah, I mean, kind but of when it happens, lose, like, lose to a team that got outscored thirteen to one in a four game series. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. With uh, Atlanta leaving Atlanta, sorry, Atlanta, like the Thrashers leaving Atlanta, uh, was that a big hit for the the hockey market out there? Like, were a lot of people sad about it, or was it kind of like, oh yeah, they're gone? It's interesting. There were there was a hockey fan base here. The hockey <laughs> fans here were upset, but if you weren't a hockey fan, like they came and went in the night, and you wouldn't have even known it. And and I know there's talks about trying to get a team back here for the third time. Yeah, well. Maybe they'll lose. Right, whatever. Uh, but but I, I think you are bumped up a little bit by the fact that Atlanta United has developed a fan base so quickly. Like, like there is a roadmap to be shown to the NHL league office that this can be done if done properly. If you make it a good atmosphere, if you make it the right location for the, like there, there are key principles off the ice that would allow the team to succeed. And there are also key principles that would uh, force the team to fail. And so it's always difficult with uh, Atlanta being such a transplant city that soccer picked up and and has got off the ground running. And I do think hockey could do the same, but they have to be very careful and very smart about it. Um, I was a big hockey fan when it when it came i i think there's a huge population here in atlanta that did not know a ton about soccer uh, until the soccer team came and then they had fun they watched the games and they learned i i, I do feel that hockey is a little more complicated in, in terms of learning all, all of the rules and and the specifics but it can be done and, and i think if you can get people to watch they will be interested they will have fun and they will pick the game up as quickly as they did soccer. So I do think a hockey team can succeed here, but you have to have a lot of smart decisions made towards the building of the franchise beyond just, are they good? Can we get players here, et cetera, et cetera. You got to go about it the right way from the ground up. And I think that is something that, you know, I know they're talking about it. There, there are plans being written up, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's something that needs to be considered by the league office before they were to potentially award uh, another team here. I mean, clearly what worked with them is they got a lot of rappers involved and everybody in the <laughs> trap community picked up soccer. Maybe you guys can tap into country. I don't know when I, so I do stand up comedy and I was in Atlanta before the pandemic, I was down on, I think it was like the Laughing Skull or something it's called. Yeah. Yeah, some of that, right. It was the only time in Atlanta where I heard trap music and country music a block <laughs> away from each other. And I was so intrigued by this. And I was like, why is there no 
trap country mix happening. But that's besides the point. Uh, there's 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 a little bit of that. There's a little bit. Some yeah, bit. you said the the soccer community kind of grew fast. How yep. much of your show covers the MLS there? Well, so on 92.9 The Game, we are the flagship station for Atlanta United. So we broadcast their games. So we do cover them a a fair amount. But I I also have to be honest. uh, The coverage will die down if the team is not succeeding. Um, And and the storylines are different. It's not like the NFL. It's a little bit closer to... Uh, the NBA, where where there's there's enough games that you can't react in a big way to every game. That that's for the NFL, right? Yeah. Every game is the season. It, it can't be like that for soccer. There are trends that you follow and and stuff like that. So we talk about it a little bit, but unless there's major stories, uh, as the season goes on, maybe we start hot and then kind of cools off, and then uh, if they're playing well, uh, it'll continue. But you know, if they're not playing well and and they're on, you know. A streak where I think they went on a streak this year where they uh, they got some results, but I don't think they won a game in like six matches, uh, maybe four losses and two draws, something like that. We, we didn't cover them that much. We, we, a little bit of a mention, but again, we are the flagship, so the games do air on our station. We have a pregame show, halftime, postgame, all that stuff. But our Monday through Friday weekday shows, they need to give us something to cover beyond more than just us giving the scores and some thoughts and a quick update. If we're going to make an actual topic out of things, you, you know, we got to find a way to really drum that up. Okay. Okay. And then I, I'm still going back to this. Like you pick Smoltz. Why Smoltz over like Maddox or Glavin? Smoltz was my favorite growing up. Um, it just, it, it was his attitude. He, he Now, I'm not going to say the other guys weren't uh, bulldog pitchers. They were, but in their own ways. He was a bulldog pitcher just visibly and physically. He wanted the challenge, and, and I just connected with that more. Maddox was different. He was a bulldog, but he was a silent one. He, he was a mental bulldog. Mm-hmm. It, it was just different. Um, but Smoltz was the guy who would get in your face, throw at you, and not not in the way at some of the other guys, but he was there for a fight, man, uh, like like in a clean baseball way, if you know what I mean. Like he was, he was game every time he stepped onto the mound, and uh, I think that's why he was probably a better postseason pitcher than Maddox and Glavin. It, it's just his approach was a little bit different than theirs. Would that make you a like Nolan Ryan slash Dave Steve fan as well? Yeah, I, I mean, they were a little bit before my time. Certainly, their their primes were, as we talked about early on, like watching the prime of certain guys' career. Mm-hmm. But, like, to me, and, and obviously he pitched for the rivals for a while when he was with the Nationals, but, like, Max Scherzer, his, his mentality. Okay. Look, he's got a good arm. There's no denying it. I don't know if he had the best arm in baseball, but what he may have lacked in some of that stuff, he made up for mentally with his I'm ready for a battle approach. Like, I mean, the guy, what did he like break his nose or something trying to bunt before the game? And he went out there and pitched like yeah. none of nothing phases him. And I can respect that. Smoltz was the same way. Nolan Ryan was like that. There's a lot of guys who have that. Again, it's a cheap baseball term, the bulldog mentality, but, but I, I that is like something I appreciate. And how do you feel about the changes they made to the rules in baseball this year? I think I know what the stats are. I, I think a lot of it's overblown. I, I think the rules that people think were going to have an impact didn't have as much. And then others, maybe more so. Like, I don't think the pitch clock made that big of a difference. I don't think larger bases made that big of a difference. 
what made the big difference was how often a pitcher can disconnect from his from the rubber uh, and and throw over. Mm-hmm. I think we saw a lot of times where they had used their their two um, two times to throw over, and now the runner's going. I think that had a much bigger impact than the bases or the pitch clock, and, and so it, it was more interesting than anything else in terms of what mattered and what didn't matter. Obviously, Ronald Acuna Jr. was out there running every chance he got. And if you stepped off twice, he he's going like he's yeah. going to he's going to run on you. So it was interesting to see that have the bigger impact. Look, the pitch clock definitely sped up games, but I didn't seem to notice it a ton. There were a couple of times where I'm like, the pitcher feels rushed. It feels forced. And I didn't appreciate that, uh, you know, because I do think that has an impact on the pitcher. But on the game overall, I, I think uh, how many times they could throw over uh, had a, the biggest impact of any of the rules. The shift certainly as well, but I, you don't really notice that. It just guys get hits more, mm-hmm. but I, you don't really notice it a ton. Do you think we'll see more changes before next season? Well, they made the change uh, uh, for the pitch clock. They they made a couple more adjustments. I think when there's a runner on, they shortened it from what it was, like two seconds or something like that. Other than that, I, I don't think we'll see much. I know they're doing a bunch of stuff in the minor leagues. I'd be interested in how close we are to the robo-ump, if we're being honest, because <laughs> yeah. I'm just tired of home plate umpires butchering game after game. Pitchers know where the strike zone is. Hitters know where the strike zone is. Call the strike zone. I, I don't want a pitcher being able to expand it, and I don't want a hitter being able to shrink it. Uh, so, you know, if they, they can determine that robo-umps are effective and more accurate than the human uh, human umpires, like, let, let's go ahead and find a way to get that going because I'm tired of all the mistakes. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm 100% behind that as well. Now, if our fans want to find you on social media, where do they find you, Abe? Yeah, you can find me uh, on, what is it, Twitter now? We call it X. I don't know, whatever you want to do with that, but uh, it's just at Abe Gordon. And then in the event that Twitter X comes to a horrible death, uh, you can find me on Instagram or threads at Abe underscore Gordon. Uh, I don't tuss uh, post a ton on Instagram, but I have it because I think at the time I had to have it to get threads going. Uh, I don't even post on threads, but I know I have it just in case Twitter dies, but I'm definitely active on Twitter. And again, that's uh, just, just my first name at Abe Gordon. All right. Perfect, buddy. Perfect. Good talking to you, man. You guys too. We didn't get a, t- a chance to talk a ton of MMA. So I, I just wanna just kinda, you want to just kind of, you want to talk a bit? Let, let's large scale it. Uh, let, let's go with this way. John Jones, does he fight in 2024? If so, will he retire right after that fight? Yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Now, Wait, I, him I and Stipe are retiring together. Yeah, I was in Cleveland when Stipe was, was getting towards his first title shot. So I, I've met Stipe a couple times. We've interviewed him before. He's, he's an awesome dude, but I got concerns about the layoff for him. I got concerns about the age for him. Oh, yeah. I I don't know, man, but if if he's game, I think he can give John Jones a fight. I do. Really? If he's game, we're, we're talking about. I mean, what is he? Forty two or forty three? He hadn't fought in three and a half or four years. Like I, I, that's gonna play its role. So I don't think he will be game. If this was say like thirty seven Stipe, though, like yeah, I, I think he would give John Jones a fight. I, I don't know about now. Well, I, I agree with you there. I I don't like to me John Jones isn't a heavyweight. He's not a heavyweight. Uh, his new his new body shape says he is. It, it, it says he is, but he, I, like, to me, he doesn't I, really have that heavyweight power. You have, have to wonder if he's lost power. speed, if he's oh, lost yeah. movement. I mean, 
He hundred percent has. Yeah, I think he's just kind of cherry picking a a prime target to go out on. So that, that's why I'm I'm yes and yes column there. Something I was going to bring up because we're now we're talking it, but I mean, <laughs> how how long have you followed MMA? Have you followed from the beginning? Pretty close to the beginning, if we're being honest. Like, you know, we're we're I'm old enough to where on Friday afternoons or early evenings we would go to Blockbuster. My mom would take us to Blockbuster, <laughs> and it's me, my brother, and my sister, and we'd all get to pick out one. At the time, they were VHSs, right? Okay. And so, me and my brother have a pretty similar taste in things. So we'd get like one movie that we wanted to see that had, uh, you know, was in theaters or come out recently, whatever. And then we'd get whatever was a UFC event that we hadn't seen at, at, at from the sports section at Blockbuster. So we did watch the early ones. A lot of them were highlight films as opposed to, you know, just a full UFC one, et cetera, et cetera. But, but pretty early on, uh, I was watching them. And then as soon as they hit TV with any regularity, you know, I was all over it. Uh, I was all over early, like K1 kickboxing and stuff like that too. Okay. You know, the Ernesto Hoost era and, and, you know, guys like that. But uh, I've been on it. I've been on it for a while. I mean, let's see. I, I mean, at least since I probably 20 years, like, like probably had a, a good 20 year run following MMA to some, to some level. All right. Cause I mean, one of the true veterans of the sport the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. He's from yeah. that neck of the woods, right? I don't. I don't think I knew that. Is he? I'm. I'm pretty sure he's from the Atlanta area. I don't know exactly where, but I'm. I'm pretty sure he's from that area. And I, I thought there's a possibility that you may have met him, you know, during your sports casting days. No, but, no, I never met Ken. I did. If he's from here, I didn't know that. Pretty sure he's from Georgia. Warner Robins, Georgia. Chalk, chalk one up. Yeah, yeah. That's not too far. Yeah, I knew. I, I thought it was Atlanta, but I, I guess yeah, it's Atlanta area, Atlanta region. <laughs> well, and I think you know, I you know the the quote, the fight that saved MMA or UFC. I think that either Forrest Griffin or Stephen Bonner used to train in Athens. Okay, it's Forrest Griffin. Forrest Griffin, I think, went to UGA, so he used to train up in Athens. So uh, I know he was up there. Yeah, like they uh, without Forrest Griffin, UFC doesn't exist. <laughs> it's done. Like, it's, I mean, you you think? I mean, I don't know. I think D so. Man. Dana White is so instrumental that obviously, like that fight was incredible, and it it yeah. It, it, I know it said that it it re-sparked the success of UFC. I I think Dana White would have found a way though if he had to w without that fight. I mean, even if it had to like, I mean, there's a world where that fight doesn't happen, but like they end up getting Kimbo slice years later, as opposed to strike force or, Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know, it, like, like Dana's smart. It, it, they would have figured it out, but I'm glad it did happen because it, it's been nonstop. Like, uh, I don't know about you guys, like going back to the, like the, the various TV deals that UFC has had, but mm -hmm. their, their agreement with ESPN has been great because there's more events. It's on ESPN plus more often than not. I just watch. I've watched more UFC in the past probably three years, going back to you know the pandemic four years when they were the kind of the first ones back, and they found out a way to get it done with no crowds and isolated venues and stuff yeah. like that. That that I, I've watched more UFC the last four years just because there's been more events probably than I ever have. I, I rarely miss a, an event. If anything, the ones I miss are the pay per views because I'm, I'm cheap, but. You know, we'll, we'll, we find ways around that. 
Okay. Let's, we do? Let, let, let's give you a... Uh, put you on the spot here. Fighter that is not a champion now that will be a champion before the end of 2024. Boy, if you didn't put a timeline on it, I, I, I really do love Bo Nickel. I, <laughs> I, I don't think he's going to be a champion that quickly, though. That, that's too. Yeah, that's too quick of a timeline. I'll say Bilal Muhammad. Uh, I, I think he gets a shot, and I think he's good enough to get it done. You know, there there are too many guys that I would like to answer this with that I just don't know if they're getting title fights this year because you're dealing with guys that are have to be within two fights of a shot, maybe even one fight. So I'll say mm-hmm. Bilal Muhammad. Yeah, it's a good point you make. It's actually it's actually a more difficult question now than it used to be because I find champions don't fight as much as they used to. Two fights a year. I mean, if some you, do one. If if you randomly catch them in like <laughs> January, July, December, maybe you catch three of them. But yeah. yeah, two fights a year, maybe one. I mean, if they come out unscathed, or yeah, you know, that all plays its role too. But um, I do think Bo Nickel will be a champion. Uh, I don't think it'll be this year though. Okay, Justin, you got one. Rockmanov. Yeah, I'm with you there too. I yeah, th- I, yeah. Think, I think Shavkat's going to be a champion this year. Oh, 100%. Yeah, they, I, I, I think a lot of belts are changing hands this year. I, I don't, I, I'm don't. i not convinced that Sean Strickland holds on to his yep. for very long. Obviously, if John Jones fights and wins, he'll retire like you guys suggested and relinquish, so that will change hands again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, there's a couple belts in the women's game that might change. I don't know if Grosso is going to hold on to that or... Uh, Blanchfield, or I, I mean, who knows? It, it, it there, there's a lot of belts I think are going to be different in January 25 than they are January 24. Right on. All right, buddy. Thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure to have you. Now, thank you guys for having me. Really do appreciate it. Enjoyed my time with y'all. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.